As we gather around the written word and listen to the spoken word, may we meet with the living word. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I have a few things in my bag this morning. Oh, come on. I wonder if you can work out what they do. Now, some of you might know straight away. So if you do, don't spoil the fun. Just let people have a little guess, why don't you? Right, my first exciting item is this. Some of you know what it is. It's made of plastic. It's got different sized holes in it. Some of you are nodding away. Any, any guesses from anybody who doesn't know? I'm a, a water? Could be, couldn't it? Egg measure. <laughs> I was like, goose eggs and hen eggs and quail eggs at one No, it's not an egg measurer. I'm, I'm hearing the word spaghetti quite a lot. This is indeed a spaghetti measurer. You put the spaghetti through. You go. You see how it works? And then you get the right amount of spaghetti. So you're not over-catering or under-catering. Everybody gets the right amount of food. Important, that thing. Right. Anybody who doesn't know what this is? Some people do know. But if you didn't know, it'd be quite difficult to work out, isn't it? That some of you are looking really perplexed. Go on then, what's it for? There's muttering. It's, it's, it's something to do with brewing or winemaking, I hear. Anybody know? You put water in it and it makes an airlock so, the air, so that the carbon dioxide can escape, but the air doesn't get in. So there's two benefits to this. You don't blow up the kitchen quite as often. <laughs> and you don't get air into the beer or the wine spoiling what you're making. Very useful, that. Now, this is perhaps the most uncommon. You might not be able to see it. It's, a, it's kind of um, cast iron and it's got a little screwy thing that kind of makes the gap bigger and smaller. It's got a couple of rollers and a blade. It is a pipe cutter. That's right. Makes really. Anybody know why it's important to use a pipe cutter, not a hacksaw? Hmm? Health and safety. Health and safety. There is health and safety as well. But also, I understand that it makes a cleaner cut, so that when you're making the joint, you haven't got bits of swarve from the from the hacksaw, and you've actually got a proper straight cut rather than a slightly on angle potentially hacksaw cut. So there you are. Some little things, some really useful little things, but if you didn't know what they were for, it might take you a little while to try and work it out if nobody told you. Some of them need specialist knowledge, but they all have a purpose and a function that drives the way that they're designed. Now, this morning, we're continuing, as I've said, our sermon series looking at the spiritual gift of prophecy. Last week, Nick started us off on this journey. Um, and if you didn't catch that, do catch up either on the podcast or on the video channels. Or go along to the small group that's starting this week about prophecy. And this morning, the next one in our series, we're exploring the question, what does prophecy do? We've thought about what they do. What does prophecy do? Well, how long's a bit of string? Um, <laughs> The answer is really quite wide. It does lots of different things, and we're going to explore some of them this morning. But before we do, I'd like to get something like really foundational in, something that I think underpins everything else. 
Um, all the other things that prophecy does are a practical outworking of this single thing. This single most important answer to this question, what does prophecy do, is found in Revelation 19, verse 10. John, the writer of Revelation, is talking with an angel in his vision. And the angel says this, For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. That's it. It is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. In my understanding, at its most basic, at its most fundamental, this is what prophecy does. It points to Jesus. It tells about Jesus. It bears witness to Jesus. It speaks the words of Jesus. What does prophecy do? Prophecy points to Jesus. Say it with me. Prophecy points to Jesus. If you get nothing else out of this morning about prophecy, then remember that. And it actually seems to me that we see this working out really clearly in the first of our readings that Liz read for us from Matthew's eyewitness account of the good news of Jesus' life. It comes really early in the account. No, Hugh did not, by mistake, read one of the Christmas readings. It was deliberate. Um, Joseph has heard that his fiancée Mary is pregnant, that he's disturbed, and what's he going to do? Well, he's decided he's going to end their betrothal quietly, but definitely. Right up until an angel appears in a dream and tells him not to. Now, one question that might occur to us is, is yes, that's all very well, but is, it actually, is there actually prophecy there? Well, it seems to me that there are two examples of prophecy here. Um, the first is fairly clear. It's that quote from the prophet Isaiah. He even says, this is, a, this is what the prophet says. That makes it prophecy. Um, we're reminded by Matthew that the prophet Isaiah, many centuries ago, had seen the coming of God's chosen one. Someone that would rescue people from the mess that they'd gotten themselves into. And this prophecy very clearly points to Jesus, that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. So that one seems to be fairly clear cut. The second one, perhaps not quite so much. You see, normally when we're talking about the gift of prophecy, uh, we, we tend to have in mind a, a kind of word of knowledge or an insight or a message from God um, that comes for us to share with someone else. And it's quite unusual for a person uh, to have an angel speak to them directly um, for personal application. But if we think about prophecy as hearing God's message to us and sharing it, then it's quite a wide definition of prophecy, but I think there's this falls in that, even if it's, it doesn't seem particularly associated with Joseph having what we might call a gift of prophecy. He definitely receives a message from God, and again, it definitely points to Jesus. Telling Joseph that his son was going to be called Jesus, which means God saves. So, with that kind of basic understanding in mind, the prophecy points to Jesus, we can now go on to consider what else prophecy does. Uh, in the second reading that we... Oh, no, it was the first one, wasn't it? It comes later in the Bible. First reading, this is read for us, yes. We heard from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, Christians living in the Greek city of Corinth. 
Um, and he was writing to them to help them develop their new faith, to make sense of it, and to, to live well together as they grew in their faith. Um, and in this section that we're reading, he's talking particularly about spiritual gifts, how they use well in the church, and he's talking about prophecy. Um, and not surprisingly, he covers some of what we're looking at this morning. What does prophecy do? Well, in verse 3, what do we read? The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. What does prophecy do? It strengthens, it encourages, it comforts. Now, it seems to me there's quite a lot about, of overlap between those ideas. They're not really very different things. They're all positive, loving, kind things to do. And again, we see them working together in Joseph's story. Let's remind ourselves, what does the angel say first? Joseph, son of David. The angel reminds Joseph of his heritage, perhaps encouraging him to have the faith of his ancestor. Maybe reminding him of David's strength in difficult situations. But whatever, reminding him of his heritage. That's the first thing he says. And then what does he say? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. The angel comforts Joseph. It's okay. You might not understand everything that's happening, but God's got this. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to worry about what other people are going to think or going to say. You can marry Mary. What does prophecy do? It strengthens, it encourages, it comforts. What else does it do? Well, we read on in Paul's letter, we get to verse 4, and we read this. The one who prophesies edifies the church. What does prophecy do? It edifies the church. You're getting the hang of this, aren't you? The example we've been looking at most so far has been focused on an individual, on on Joseph. But it's important to remember that prophecy often, maybe even more often than an individual focus, has a community focus. Even when it is given to an individual, the angel spoke to Joseph, but that, that conversation happened on behalf of and for the sake of the church that was to be. It had immediate impact on Joseph and what he was doing, but it had a far wider working out across the world. Unusual word, isn't it, edify? Don't use it much. Or I don't, anyway. Um, I kind of thought what it meant when I read it, but given I was preaching, I thought I'd better check that I was right. Apparently, I didn't know this bit, it comes from an old French word meaning to build. There you go. Um, It's kind of related to the word edifice, you know, which means a big complicated building, same root. So, at its root, to edify means to build up. And as time went on, it came to mean kind of building people up um, in the way they think, in their mind, particularly about moral or religious ideas. That's what edify means, to build someone up. So what does prophecy do? It edifies. But let's expand that a little bit. It builds up the community of faith in in the way we think about the understanding of our faith and what it means for the way we live. Builds up the community of faith and the way we think about and understand our faith, what it means for the way we live. That's what edifying is. When we understand this, 
we see how it works in Joseph's conversation with the angel. Of course, the conversation was a private one, but I reckon he probably shared it with Mary. I think that's probably a fairly safe assumption, um, particularly given that it eventually came to be written down by Matthew. Um, and by it, we understand that the Holy Spirit was instrumental in Jesus coming to live as one of us. That Jesus was sent by the Father to save us from our sins. These truths edify us. They build up what we understand about God and about our faith and they guide our actions. We see prophecy edifying the church. Now, there is another aspect of what prophecy does. It's not particularly mentioned by Paul in this passage. You can argue that it's there implicitly. Um, but it's also important for us to understand. And this is the aspect of prophecy associated with warning and correction. Firstly, warning. Sometimes prophetic warnings are given to prevent someone uh, or people from carrying on down the wrong track doing the wrong thing, the wrong way. Um, and they do that by sharing the consequences of what's going to happen if we keep doing the wrong thing. So lots of the Old Testament prophecies are like this. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, many of the others, they wrote about the consequences for the people of God if they continue to be unfaithful to God and calling on them to change their minds and change their behaviour. But even, even here where there's a lot of warnings, interwoven with those warnings as we read through, we find comforting visions of the alternative, of the positive and good things that will be as and when the people turn back to God. So that's one kind of prophetic warning. The other kind are given to let people know that although difficult things might happen to them, God is still going to be with them. There's a couple of biblical examples of this. At the end of Jesus' time on earth, um, he has a conversation with his friend Peter. And Jesus warns Peter that towards the end of Peter's life, he's going to be imprisoned and will die for his faith. Now this... Are we back? Yep, excellent, good. This warning that Jesus gives to Peter isn't because Peter's going to do anything wrong. He's not saying, Peter, this stuff's going to happen and if, if you keep on doing the wrong stuff and if you do the right stuff, it'll be fine. He's saying, this is going to happen. But it's to reassure him that even when these things happen, God was still going to be with him. To reassure him. So sometimes warnings about things that are going to happen in the future are to do with, we need to change. And sometimes they are, this is going to happen. Persevere, trust, I'm still with you. But prophetic corrections don't always come with a warning. Um, the one that Joseph received didn't. We've talked about the way in which it was comforting and strengthening, encouraging and edifying, but it was also correcting. Before Joseph got this message, he was going to divorce Mary. After he got the message, he wasn't. His course was corrected. He was put right. It seems to me then that even in these areas that are more challenging when it comes to what prophecy does, 
those areas of warning and correction, we still see the other things woven through, that comfort, that strengthening, that encouraging, that edification. And we also see that they are about pointing to Jesus. Sometimes it's pointing back to Jesus, correcting our path back towards Jesus, but it's always about pointing to Jesus. Which brings us back to where we started. When the youngsters were in, we talked about what it looks like to eagerly desire something. Uh, These little things I showed you earlier, they're unlikely to have provoked great desire in you. Though, I have had guests who've seen me preparing spaghetti with a spaghetti measure and go, oh wow, that's brilliant! I wonder if you've had that experience when you have seen a kitchen gadget or a tool, been in screw fix flicking through the Screwfix catalogue and some kind of a device or something that you think, oh, I really like what that does. That would be really useful. I really want that. Why are we reflecting on what prophecy does? Well, as we reflect on what prophecy does, on the way that it warns and corrects, comforts, strengthens, edifies, and most of all, points to Jesus... I hope that it will fan the flame, that flame of desire in us and in our church, that we might eagerly desire this spiritual gift of prophecy. We need these things, don't we? Comfort and strengthening and direction, edification. We know those things, and this is what the spiritual gift of prophecy does for us. Surely that is something to desire eagerly. Amen.